0: And ghosts Thin out your hairy herd Make peace With the demon of the ravine And somebody's gonna pay For all my sins And it damn well Better not be me Alms
1: for the poor It's time to talk toll to me
0: Nice Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade, And I am Nick McGill. Together we are a pair of goats called Feckless Moans, And this is Talk Tull to Me. A ritual bloodletting at the altar of Prog Rock in which bloodless repetition Nick and omniscience Omen will send to the heavens the meat smoke of every single song with which Rushi Rajna, rock band Jethro Tull, have
1: ever blessed the Believers. We will accept the grain offerings of guitarist Joe Parrish, encourage sin offerings of synth player John O'Hara, smudge out the burnt offerings of bassist David Goodyear, and embrace the peace offerings of percussionist Scott Hammond. And if we don't give up our earthly possessions, shave our heads, strap on a hair shirt, and live in a barrel, then we will ask for the trespass offering of the sacrificing Scotsman, the altruistic artist, the forgiving flautist, Ian Exonerating Anderson.
0: Wow! Someone's coming for my gig. <laughs> that was great, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. That felt good. We decided to switch switch things up a little bit today, and if you do detect with your keen ears any difference in my recording, it is because I am back in Santa Fe for a quick week getting ready right. to sacrifice myself to the to the Marathon Beasties this coming weekend. Mother Marathon, please hear my prayer. Hear me and just let me
1: die. <laughs> please, please, Mother Marathon. Yes, Oman is, is running for the weekend and he will be back in... Wait, are you going to be in Buffalo the next time we record? You are, aren't you?
0: I'll be back in Florida for two weeks and then I'll be in Buffalo for the summer. There it is. Performing measure for measure.
1: How exciting. Who are you playing in measure? For me- Are you playing the measure
0: or the measure? I'm actually the measurer. I'm taking the measure. I'm measuring everyone in the audience. Ooh, wow. So that's really, that's an important role then. Yeah. Mm, too short. You can't come. <laughs> now I'm playing Lucio, which is actually kind of relevant to the discussion we're about to have. A kind of oh. a biblical adjacent reference. We have Angelo and, and Angelo. Sorry, we have Lucio and Angelo in the same play. So the light, the light one and the and the angel. Oh, very exciting. They're both shitty. <laughs> They're both awful, awful people. But in distinct <laughs> ways. Yes,
1: two kinds of shitty. How about today, the day that we are recording? Happy Beltane,
0: everybody.
2: I come, Beltane.
0: Happy Beltane, happy May Day for all of you labor workers, and also happy Nowruz, the beginning of the Persian New Year and uh, celebrated day in uh, Iranian culture. Well, that's exciting too. Yeah, lots to
1: celebrate. That it is. One thing to celebrate today is we are we are covering one of my all-time favorite Jethro Tull songs.
0: Oh, really? I didn't realize that. I mean, I'm not surprised, but... Yeah, I get the vapors when I listen to this song. (laughs) And Nick, what is that song that is so favorited by you? So this is
1: track 11 of 12 off of the 2022 release of The Zealot Gene. This is In Brief Visitation.
0: Why don't we briefly take a visitation of this song and have a listen? Good thinking. Let's do that. Nick McGill. Oh, Minsaid. Uh, I see that you're cleaning yourself off with a paper towel. That makes a lot of <laughs> sense based on the what we just heard.
1: It's. Uh, I will never be able to drink this bottle of booze. It just. It erupts. This is all euphemistic, by the way. Uh-huh, it erupts uh-huh. with...
0: <laughs> So. Oh gosh. This is so interesting because in recollecting this song, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is one of the Ian specials. He recorded all this totally by himself." Not the case. Yeah, this is very much not. And that's that's kind
1: of a rarity for me when it, it's a super beautiful song. It usually falls into that acoustic category. Not really the, uh, well, I mean, yes, it's acoustic. It has a lot that, of acoustic but elements. a lot more,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. It is much more layered than I remembered. And, and it has a lot more yeah. going on in it than I think I ever realized.
1: So much, so much more. One of the most important things going on in here I think is important, which I noted at the top of the, the podcast. JPJ is in this song.
0: Joe Parrish, the, the junior. Joe, Joe Parrish,
1: JP Jr. Uh, Joe Parrish James. This is his first Jethro
0: Tull song. Yeah, so really, really interesting and interesting the role that he takes in this song. He's really, he's playing an electric guitar. He's got it turned up. Yeah. and it it's is it's, it's turned it certainly is and uh, and it's on kind of an overdrive, but it's very soft It's faded way back so I didn't even notice it until this very listen. It's very good because it's 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 back all the way in the background. it's paralleling. It's forming a parallelogram with the flute in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just adding a little flavor, which, unless your palate is well-developed, you could be forgiven for missing. I was going to say it accentuates.
1: It is not the main body. It adds to it, and when you do hear it it's so very nice and it's a it's a great precursor to what we're moving into this this new album rock flute that yes yes it is it sounds like him this is like the one soft piece that he does and then he gets boy he can show you the other side too and it's
0: and it's only soft because of the way that it's mixed i think like it's it's played out it's just i think it's it really comes down to the mixing that they've pulled oh. it back i mean maybe not maybe he he seems
1: to be playing it sweetly though as opposed to Vengefully, like rock
0: flute. I'll give you that. I'll give it to you for your birthday. I'll I'll put it in a box for you. It'll have your name on it. Okay, so we have the background guitar, which is really spectacular. We also have a couple of other guitar flavors. We have Ian playing the guitar, and then we have a mysterious third guitar sound, which maybe is just the bass on a higher mm-hmm. playing, or mm-hmm. maybe is Ian doing some sort of atypical picking on a, on a fairly low set of strings.
2: I still need someone to love In the fall guy was here
1: It's hard to know, it's hard to follow, because this song is very, very fast. As sweet as it is, it's very fast. Yes, it and is. And it's very layered and difficult to pull stuff out. And I think that, that kind of adds a little bit to the beauty of the songs. It just, it sweeps you along.
0: I had to listen to it once and a half because I was so swept away by the instrumentation, I completely forgot to try to count what the time signature is. Yeah. I believe that most of it is in 8-8. Eight, eight. 1,
2: 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 1, 2,
0: 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Bum, dum
2: two, two, bum, bum, two, 7, 8. Someone not courageous, someone to make me laugh.
0: Which makes you count it pretty fast. Yeah and then when we get into the bra da-da-da, i am not so certain it could be in some form of a three or it could be that ian is playing a sort of a swung long triplet over top of that eight count but it it is wow it is a little complex rhythmically for that instrumental section
1: yeah it is, but it, it doesn't come off, is that? It doesn't come off terribly proggy? No, just, it, it, f- it doesn't. It fits so perfectly right on top of
0: it. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's really fascinating the way that he's composed it because, like you say, it's not jarring. It doesn't jar you into thinking like, oh yes, it's prog now. It just kind of sweeps you along. Mm-hmm. Speaking of sweeping, I want to play Synth or String. In
2: brief is it-
1: Oh, I know, I know. It sounds way too good to be synth.
0: But do we have
1: any- st- But no one's credited for strings. Yeah. <laughs> no one's credited for strings on this. I mean, I'm gonna pull out the actual the vinyl insert here. Ooh, look at that. Oh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful piece. Beautiful image of, uh, of a church.
0: Yeah, an octagon. Church oxigon. dome.
1: Uh, hexagon, there are only six sides. Percussion harmonica... Nothing is given
0: credit for strings on this. So then we have to assume that that is the best synth job we've ever heard. Maybe it's
1: it's layered enough and mixed well enough that any resemblance
0: to synth is like
1: buried under there.
0: Well, also, you know, it's not the 80s anymore. It's not even the 90s. It's not even the early 2000s. We are fully in 2025 or whatever year we're in right now. And so technology has evolved to the point where maybe you can auto-generate, you can computer-generate strings that really do sound that good. But boy, howdy, do they? I don't have a frame of reference
1: to string synth present day, Other than maybe this, if this is it, you know? But I don't have anything else to base this off of. Yeah. But it sounds so lovely. It's I mean, Dee Palmer could do her own full orchestration with this technology. And boy, would I love to hear that. And probably
0: does. I
1: hope so, yeah. At this point.
0: At 123, there is just an incredible swell of strings with the guitar mixed Mm. into it, and it's just lovely. Right on my heart. And then, Nick, whom do we have on the piano? Piano is John O'Hara. So presumably John O'Hara is also playing the synth, but what I want to point out right. about this is the absolutely heartbreakingly delicate piano work that he's doing. This is unlike anything that we have ever heard in Tall yet again. This delicate, he's just kind of like plinking here and there. I still think- it's
2: someone
0: to love. It reminds me of dewdrops sprinkled upon mm. the springtime fruits. I mean, it really is just so, like, tender and subtle. Oh, my gosh, I, I don't even have the words. This really is, I know I've said this before,
1: and it, it was probably half-assed and not actually true, but this is such a unique sound for Tull.
0: It is. There's There are a number of things that we don't have, in other places, I mean, one that way, way, way quiet, but on overdrive electric guitar, mm. that plinky little droplets of goodness piano sound. Of course, we've had string swells before. We've had synth s- strings swells as well. There's even some little gestures that I really like that are maybe not one hundred percent unique, but I really love Ian's guitar gesture of rampa ta dum pa that breaks up the verses. Yeah, mm-hmm. it brings a sense of danger. It brings a sense of darkness to this really gorgeous light-filled song. There's a yeah. I think a theme of this album has been the mixing of dark and light, and this is mm-hmm. maybe the best example of it so far. Yeah, it it, oh, it does it so well. It does it so
1: so very well, and I think it is those those layers of when we're used to those broad sweeping strings that we've heard in the past. It's usually an acoustic. It's really, the strings are right there, right in front and you're feeling it and you're moving with that. But they're under there. They're under there with Joe's guitar. Yeah. They are beneath the flute. They're beneath Ian's voice. It's all layered so uniquely. And I think that is what makes the sound so different is because it's, it's the combination. It's the perfect combination of things that, I mean, Pull them all out, and and we've heard them in tall songs. But this meatball is a is a different meatball.
0: This I was going to use the the metaphor of the mole sauce. It's got like a hundred ingredients, and you maybe you can taste them each individually. But really, what you taste yeah. is this other thing that has never tasted you that has never existed before. It's really incredible.
1: Yeah, it's a mélange.
0: It is a mélange. There's one wonderful moment of Ian's voice that I want to point out. I mean, he's he's in mm. very good voice for this whole song very much yeah but i think it's the very final verse where he sings in brief visitation the fall guy was here in brief
2: visitation the fall guy was
1: here he goes down on here yeah he just he kind, just barely speaks it he
0: goes <sighs> yeah yeah, yeah i love a, it what he there's does. a finality He's been doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, he's been using that on this album. And I think that we'll hear more of that on Rock of Flute. I believe so, yeah. He's bringing in that new range of his voice that we really haven't heard in previous albums. Yeah, right. That he can get that sense of depth where suddenly it's like the floor just drops out from underneath you.
1: Yeah. I love it. I think you're right. It is the very last word. And then we go into ju- just one kind of... Replay of that bridge, that and then we we go through that and then it's done. It ends pretty abruptly. But yeah, that adds, of all the final moments in this story so far, of all the moments we've hit that could have been the final moments, Mm -hmm. that really puts a pin in it, even though this is not technically the final moment. We do have one more song.
0: I think that if this was the final song of the album, let's talk construction of the album as a whole, if this was the final, there'd be a lot of like, Weeping, be <laughs> a lot of like records spinning on that final groove and just like the sound of weeping. But fortunately, he gives us the, the Fisherman of Ephesus as a as a little cheer up gift.
1: Cheer up, but it's so hard and dark, but it's it's a good button. I think it's a better button. Honestly, I do think it wraps up the the overall sound of the album. Yes. It works a lot better than just like, oh, by the way, this is a unique song sound to Tull and to the album itself, we're tacking it on the end. It may feel like it's like, oh, is this a bonus track? What's what's going mm, on here? Yeah, yeah, good point. Oh, although it does not, by virtue of the fact that it goes from Three Loves Three directly into In Brief Visitation, there's no break at all. It is a clean transition. It is the cleanest. I remember when I, when I was listening to it for the first time, and I think I've told this story a handful of times already, but when we got the album from JDA, Last year or two mm-hmm. years ago, a year and a half at this point, I listened to it without looking at where the tracks were, like when, oh, yes. it's now this track, it's now this track. Right. I had no idea when this song started. I had the I same was like,
0: what? experience on my first listen where just that it's just one whole, like basically the whole he- second half of the album.
1: Yeah. You get to uh, Three Loves Three. You-, you obviously know it's Three Loves Three. Okay. Then by the time there's a song change, you- it starts playing Fisherman of-, of Ephesus and you're like, where did I did I miss a song? And then you go back and you look, it's like, where's that? Why didn't it stop? What's going on? Yeah. And then you, you finally hear it, but it's, but hearing it out of that context, I think I said last episode as well, hearing Three Loves Three stop without hearing that other one is just so uncomfortable making. And this one works a little bit better, but then that transition really is so solid.
0: The second really half good. of the album is, is kind of the, the musical version of Temporal Fugue, where you get in your car and you drive half an hour and then you, you suddenly end up <laughs> yes. six states away, and you're like, oh my God, why am I investigating Mothman? Yeah, that happens. And you have the advantage. You've been listening. I haven't I haven't bought my vinyl version. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I have. What am I talking about? You have about? the, vinyl of, this. I have the yeah. vinyl of this? I got it in England. I mostly have been listening to this digitally, but one of the advantages of listening to it on vinyl is you really can hear it in the way that the artist intended you to hear the break or lack of break between the songs. Mm -hmm. If you listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music, there are a lot of settings that are either automatically put in or you put in at some point and forgot that you put in where it'll overlap the last couple of seconds and the first couple of seconds, or it'll do an automatic fade out, or it'll put in space where there isn't supposed to be space. You, yeah. you can never really be sure of what you're hearing and how it's supposed to be. But with the vinyl, it's a physical object. You can't change it without without destroying it. I, I cut that specific ring out. It's a single now. <laughs>
1: you cut your It's laser. just... It's just... It's just that, and then it's maybe what would be the other side. It's like half of Shoshana Sleeping and half of Sad City Sisters, probably.
0: You took the silence in every single vinyl Jethro Tull album and combined them into an an album of Jethro Tull silence.
1: It's an eight-disc set. If you guys want to pledge for that on Patreon, you're yeah. more than welcome to. It's yeah.
0: not silent singing, it's silent spinning. <laughs> it's the best of the best of Jethro Tull silence. Yeah. It's, this wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> that was very good thank you thank very you good. we weren't talking
2: to it.
0: <laughs> nick welcome back jeepers creepers where do you get them peepers and also what do you use them for nick i use them for peeping obviously yeah and what you in right now Oh, that's a good
1: question. Um, I am peeping. We are talking. I'm peeping the vinyl that I hold He's, in my hands. You can relate a we horse ta- of water. <laughs> I thought you were going to make a peeping Tom joke, so I kind of led you to that one. I was setting you up.
2: <laughs>
1: Loopy today. Loopy. Um, I hold in my hands the vinyl of the Zealot Gene. You sure you do. You can see in the back, I've got the, the special edition one right there. But that one also came with the regular vinyl as well. So we're talking album art as we do on the penultimate track here. We have a picture of nude grandpa Ian Anderson. Yes, yes, which I love. it's it's very raw. It's vulnerable, but also like, incredibly manly. I don't know. yeah, he's shooting you with the stink eye. It says, I dare you to comment on my nudity. Yeah. It's like, why aren't you nude? <laughs> Everyone's nude now. So we've got this really pretty kind of rough, rough serifed font for Jethro Tull mm-hmm. in the Zealot gene. It looks really, really nice. It's like it's almost like calligraphic, but not quite. For the picture of Ian, background we've got left. The left side is black, and it fades into white. And then we see what can only be pieces from the Bible mm-hmm. excerpts in. It's basically like that magnet art that you're like, oh, I'm going to put this one here and this one here. Right, and yeah, little pieces, And it's really this. I mean, I see two beloved dropping rivers, my himself, zealot, lilies, the breasts, mm. sockets and whoredom. Yeah. So it's, a, it's the best of the Bible here. Yeah. Yeah. That's our background. Ian on top. We've got color opposites here yes we've got the light coming in from ian's right hand side so we see that side of him contrasting with the darkness and then we have nothing on his left side so it's almost purely black except for i see just a little reflection in the bottom of his
0: eye his left eye so you only get kind of his silhouette we were just talking about how the musical themes and the kind of the thematic themes of this album are so much about contrasting yeah. dark and light. Oh my gosh, you know, he's already 10 steps ahead of us. He's literally giving it to us on the album cover. I'm going to do my, my thesis on this, I think. <laughs> Finally, you congratulate.
1: graduate. Our, I know, right? From Toll Toll University. We open our, <laughs> our gatefold here. We've got a picture on our left-hand side of just a great, enormous church full on there. Beautiful. That lovely lovely church there must
0: be a very specific church do we have a notation for what that is i don't hear i can tell you who took the picture but yeah i don't have i don't have
1: it here unfortunately uh i bet you if you google imaged it though you could probably pull it up it's very distinct then we have going in clockwise order on the right hand side the band we've got ian with his flute And this is very similar to the the inside of the booklet for rock flute as well. It's got kind of squares of the people, of the musicians. So we've got Ian on his flute, uh, little headphones on and he's at the microphone. After that, we have Scott Hammond on drums. Mm -hmm. Then we go around. We've got John O'Hara on keys and David Goodyear on bass. And then Florian in the bottom left, Florian Opale. Amazing. And it's kind of this hodgepodge of like, kind of looks like a garage band of dads, like getting together yes. to play. Yes. They're all like middle age. It's so funny, middle middle or older. It's the Sunday bocce league. <laughs> yes, they get together and play rock and roll music. Yeah. And on the back, we've got more of that font. The Zealot Jean sides one, two, three, and four, three tracks each. Beneath that, we've got our credits, music and lyrics by Ian Anderson, basic tracks recorded at Modern World Studio, tracks 1, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, and 12, engineered by Michael Neandoro, other songs recorded at home, tracks 2, 6, 9, 10, and 11, so we know exactly which ones he sang, he did at home, so that's Jacob's Tale, Sad City Sisters, Where Did Saturday Go, Three Loves Three, and In Brief Visitation. Interesting. So that's everybody doing their own parts and then sending that in. That's crazy to me. That's a COVID baby there. Wow. Next up is producer and stereo mixing Ian Anderson, mastered by Nick Watson at Fluid Mastering London, artwork concept and photography Ian Anderson, artwork prime images James Anderson, artwork design Thomas Ewerhard, published under license by BMG London. And then we have the profile of Ian Anderson on the right-hand side of that. Yes. Him basically pretty much the exact same thing. If we were to to look at the side of him uh, from that front image, we get Ian from the side. And again, our background goes from black beneath the white text fades into white that has Ian on top of that. Very lovely. Very stark. Very potent imagery
0: here. It's very nice. Just a note about Modern World, Modern World Studio. They're located in the Cotswolds in uh, Gloucestershire, England, which is one of the most beautiful places in England that that there is. It's just absolutely Mm. gorgeous there. And looking at some pictures of of the studios themselves, they're gorgeous.
1: Yeah. Just a note on Thomas Ewerhard, he does artwork for... A lot more badass bands than Jethro Tull. If you go to his his website, if you look him up, he clearly has a theme. He clearly does something well. It's a lot of skeletons and sacrilegious artwork and and all that. Oh, nice. All classic, like what you would expect heavy death metal album arts to look like. Right. He has a brand and he does it well. Which is very strange that he he has artwork design credit. But like, what is the... I don't know what that is. I don't know what artwork they're talking about.
0: I imagine it's the layout of you know, someone else that maybe took the photograph and then he he rendered it and, and put it in, in situ. Yeah. But it does, that darkness and that kind of intensity comes through the artwork of this album. Yeah, I get it. Even if it's not, you know, screamo metal skulls and skeletons and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, it's much more subdued but you do have to have you clearly have to have like a really artistic eye to do that well and cleanly and it's nice to see the contrast of this like skeleton with a top hat on a post with a a bird skull hanging
0: from it that's for my solo album that's your solo okay right right. okay the the bone man the bone man too (laughs) cake man too (laughs) cake full of bones oh the cake man i forgot all about the cake man wow we really missed out on a
1: lot there I mean, that's that's album artwork, really Amazing. nice, really lovely. If you don't have the vinyl, I recommend, or I mean, the CD, I suppose. I know a lot of people still do CDs. Don't know why. Um, but I do recommend looking it up if you haven't seen it. It's really potent. It's really nice.
0: And the most important thing is to enjoy it in whatever medium makes sense for you. Yeah. Especially if it's vinyl. I'm going to do a Smoke Signal covers of Jethro Tull songs. I have a laser pointed at the moon in which I'm, I'm burning the lyrics for all every single jethro so I'm, bur- I'm i've i've uploaded silent singing into a high powered laser okay. on a 3d printer mount and it's just burning all the lyrics into the moon are you doing just silent
1: singing or are you going to well i mean silent singing wor- er, uh, silent singing works because in space no one can hear you sing that's that's right but are you going to do rock flute i mean even though that's not updated in silent singing you do a little addendum
0: i had to put that on uh, on one of the moons of jupiter there wasn't enough room on on the terrestrial moon yeah you you timed it out perfectly to have just enough space yeah i didn't know and then they 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 release another album yep start again (laughs) nick welcome back here we are talking about the text and textual context and the contextual subtext of in brief visitation nick we have as our reference verses from El Biblio, John, twenty one twenty five, and Luke, 24, 12, and Jean-Luc Picard, Stardate, 126, 86. Perfect. Nick, do you have those? Uh, do you have uh, Johnny and Lukey pulled up? I do. It just
1: says engage. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all I know about Star Trek. That's a, That's all, all you I need know. to know. Yeah, right. Uh, prime Directive, I know Something, that. something, the Borg. We are the Borg? Yeah, okay. John, twenty one twenty five. Luke, twenty four twelve. So real quick ones here. John, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That sounds like the end of like a teen, a I teen trilogy. I love that
0: so <laughs> much. It is such, I love that on so many levels. It is the perfect, like, yeah,
1: and other stuff, like yeah, right. Oh man, he did so much. You don't even know. It's very Trumpian, actually. You don't even know how much Christ I, did. <laughs>
0: I think it's, I think it's great because it it leaves room for imagination. It leaves room for fan fiction. Jesus, fan fiction. If the Bible is a George Lucas picture, mm-hmm. that one line in John gets adapted into every single Dave Filoni directed television show
1: of which there are I think too many. Dare I, I, say it?
0: I dare you not to say that. I dare, I dare you I to take that back. You not.
1: <laughs> okay. And then Luke 24:12 is Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, "What had happened?"
0: Yeah, and we actually covered that in a previous I know. episode. I don't think it was directly referenced, but We talked about that with Where Did Saturday Go? Yeah. Where after the Sabbath, they came back to the tomb and big mystery. So between the- Just linens. Between the two of those, if I disappeared, it would just be like floral panties, nothing else.
1: (laughs) How many pairs of floral panties are you wearing? So
0: many. (laughs) Enough that when I disappear, it's going to be great. It's like the last rubber band that you put on the watermelon. (laughs) Just- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, between the two of those quotes, where do, what space does that put us into before we even get into the lyrics? John says, and there was a bunch of other stuff. And Luke describes what Peter did. Peter being confused.
1: Yeah. So it seems to be two different points in time. The, and Jesus did everything and he was... Br- 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 that feels very, like, the very end of the story. And he rode off into the sunset. Mm. And he married Hermione and they had kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. That's so final. That's such a final thing. Like, you say that because you don't want to say anymore. you know? You wouldn't say, and he did many things and it would fill up so many books, there's no way we could write him down. But he also did this, you know? You wouldn't do that. Right. And that but then Peter, that goes back to in brief visitation, right? Peter, Peter going and finding the linens, Peter Simon, right, I think. Sure.
0: Who was also Three Loves Three. Yep. That was the three denials. So I was thinking a little bit about this, you know, why we have these two quotes, mm-hmm. these two verses from the Bible. And for me, what I think it is, is we have the the untellable and the unknowable. Ooh. I like that because Jesus in this you know what we're discovering in and what this song is really about is like the the post man Jesus the more than man the part of Jesus and so there is you know there is the part that is knowable there is the part that is tellable there is the part that is unknowable and that is and there is the part that is untellable and i think that that's kind of a great departure point for the lyrics of this song hmm yeah, that's a, that's a really nice way to put it, yeah. If we jump into the lyrics, I still need someone to love, very Beatles, hmm. someone outrageous, someone to make me laugh. I
2: still need someone to love Someone outrageous, someone to make me
0: laugh I loved when, in our conversation with um, Vicar John, Mm. He talked about the sense of humor that comes from, from Jesus, the kind of wild statements that he yeah. made. That we talked about comparing him to the, the Zen master who says things that are, that are, like, uncomprehensible, that makes your mind really pause and, like, confront the reality of, of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that seem, this seems to me a, a reference to that aspect of, of the man. I think that might be
1: like the one thing that stuck out the most in our discussion with John is his presentation of Jesus doing things with a sense of humor, yeah, it's humanizes him more and it makes it less like, this is what we do, and of this course. Is blah, blah, blah. like he's not this infallible figure
0: no, he's he's a unique guy. you know he's he's, he's a human and maybe a little bit silly. Like, like, and that's okay. Yeah, we can only hope. Because the earth does not have space for all the books of all the things that he did. Maybe some of those things were kind of cool and funny and silly. Someone who fell from above to channel my hopes and dreams and write me an autograph. Verse break here on my heart in grade's dedication.
2: Someone who fell from above to channel my whole hopes and write me an autograph.
0: I love that he continues the sentence past the break in the verse. It's a, so gorgeous writing. Yeah.
1: Oh, the poetry in this one is really lovely. Really quick, I want to note, Ian provides John 21 and then Luke 24. They're in opposite order in the Bible. Yes. Technically, chronologically, we would be seeing Peter going and then John after the fact saying, oh, and by the way, it's, it, it's unknowable. Uh, so it, it's just an interesting idea that Ian referenced them um, in that order. That's
0: all. And then we have The Fall Guy Was Here in Brief Visitation. I Still Need Someone to Love in Brief Visitation. The Fall Guy Was Here. The
2: Fall Guy Was Here in Brief Visitation. I still need someone to love in Brief Visitation.
0: We have this repetition of the fall guy, and Nick, when you are ready, permit me, if you will, to take you on a historical journey. Oh, an
1: etymological journey of the fall guy? Oh, yes, girl. Let me get this popcorn. Are you ready? I'm very ready. I'm very excited. Okay, well,
0: what is a fall guy? Someone that you pin blame on? Uh Uh-huh. What is another common expression for a fall guy? What's another way to say that same thing? Oh gosh, a patsy? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, there could be no, anything. No, you're you're right. gonna have to give
0: it to me. <laughs> what's what's the most obvious one? Like, oh, he's you know, oh yeah, he's our
1: S- scapegoat.
0: S- scapegoat. Mm. Now, what is the origin of the scapegoat? You ask me, Nick. I knew that at one point. Tell me, though, Omen. tell me. The scapegoat has a very specific origin and goes back to Jewish tradition. Hmm. There is a reference in, it's Leviticus 16, it has a reference to it, but the tradition is actually much older than, than that. As uh, it's described in the Torah, it's a key part of the celebration of Yom Kippur. And what was done was two goats, two male goats were slaughtered. And one goat was dedicated to God. You know, in the kind of traditional old world offering. The other goat was designated for Azazel. Azazel, yeah. So the other goat was dedicated to Azazel. Now, depending on where you look, Azazel could be the name of a cliff, a certain geographical feature where the goat was thrown off of. And it's important to remember that this goat was laden symbolically with the sins of the community. Mm -hmm. Everything bad that everyone had done was put on this goat and the goat was offered into the void. But however, if you look in another place in Jewish tradition, Azazel is one of the fallen angels who became a goat-like demon. And so you have one goat that goes to God and one goat that goes to this goat demon and sacrificed I also
1: see that in some some scriptures, it's it's read as, uh, as Ozel, E-Z space, O-Z-L-E, which translates to goat that departs. Yes, exactly. Or the scapegoat. Yeah, scape being a shortened version of escape.
0: Yeah. So, we have this tradition of putting all of our sins onto this creature that is then sacrificed. That mm-hmm. tradition prefigures the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice of Jesus. He was literally in the Jewish tradition taking on the sins of his community and being sacrificed yeah. up to God. And that's actually part of Christian, the Christian kind of vibe and Christian tradition is, Oh, Christians, why don't you do uh, sacrifice of goats anymore? Ah, well, the reason is Jesus stepped in and fulfilled that need, and so now we don't need that anymore. He did it once and for all for all of us because he was so much better than oh, a goat. Interesting. He could just do it once. Yeah. So that referenced, as Ian kind of like in such a casual way puts it, the fall guy, mm-hmm. refers back down through the millennia to this ancient tradition of sacrificing a goat.
1: Yeah. One of the very common phrases, he died for our sins. That's what we're told in Sunday school. He opened the gates of heaven to us. Exactly. They hired St. Peter off of Craigslist and it, it worked out. Doesn't happen often, but it worked out.
0: But the cool thing that's kind of my big realization is that that wasn't his invention. He was riffing on a tradition that already existed. And doing it in this new, the thing that's so that I'm realizing and that John kind of opened my eyes to, like you were saying, it's not just that Jesus was like, you know, the son of God and all this. It's that he was a unique person and he did stuff with his own style. And because of that, he was able to, he was like doing jazz with spirituality.
2: Hmm.
1: Freeform spirituality. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was really. I mean, he was really going above and beyond and cr- trying to do something new and creating something new.
0: Exactly. Or new in that tradition. Or knew he was putting it in a different key. Mm -hmm. So we have just the fact
1: that this narrator, Ian, someone who is of the Christian faith, you know, this is a first person song. And they're saying that, or.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I see the
1: wheels turning. Is this John? Is this John singing this? Or is it Peter? I still need someone to love.
0: Or Peter? Is it a continuation of Three Loves Three?
1: Yeah, when he finds the tomb. He still needs that someone. He's he's clearly has not dealt with the procedure of, of mourning.
0: And I think the answer to all of that is yes. Like, you know, I think that the reason that Peter is such a wonderful figure within that story is because he gives us the in. He's such a... He's so fallible <laughs> and so guilty yeah. and then so forgiven yeah. that that, you know, somewhere within that story, anybody can relate to, any, to one of those things.
1: Right. He's very human, too. You know, right. I feel like a lot of the characters in the Bible, at least from bits that I've heard, it's like a one or two sentence story. They're flat. They're two dimensional. They're one note. They're there to prove one thing or to be the example of one thing.
0: They're allegorical.
1: Yeah. But this is, I mean, Peter and Jesus and probably a lot of the other disciples or maybe. Right. They're more, they're substantial. And we learn from those
0: just as much. And I think the big not more. success of this album is in pulling back the kind of two-dimensional Sunday school nativity scene of this and really showing us like the humanity behind it. And what I love about this song is that this notion of in brief visitation, the fall guy was here, you know, there's a human lifespan in the bucket of history is so minuscule, but it's had this, it's had such a big effect clearly on the singer personally, on all the lives around this person that, that, that he touched and also on history from that point on. But Jesus was only what,
1: like 34 or something when he died? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's super brief visitation. You know, he was not. Briefer than he, us. He did not have a full life. Yeah, exactly. We made it past Jesus. Jesus H. Yeah, I mean, it's... mm, This song, it's mournful. It's clearly like, you're a part of me. You were something to me and I do not have that anymore. It's sad, it's mournful, but it's sweet. It's almost like a breakup song. From the the aspect of the person who did the breaking up. Not like, yes. I'm, I'm over you. It's not Taylor Swift. It's the other, it's John Mayer, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural references. Right? That works right? Yeah, that's great. Good job. From 20 years ago. Yeah.
0: So here's a question that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of this is clear to me... Right on my heart and grave dedication, the fog was here. They still need someone to hate, to brand with harsh accusations, to scare the many and even the few who flock to the party but turn from the glare when caught in the headlights and taken to task.
2: They still need someone to hate, to brand with harsh accusations, to scare the many. To the party, but heard from the glare. when caught in the take them to task. What is going
1: on? We clearly are swapping from I. I miss this character. This person was this for me. Mm-hmm. We swap over to the Romans, to anyone not following Christ's teachings. Mm-hmm. So they still need someone to hate, to blend with harsh accusations, to scare... So then we get into maybe the the full idea of his followers, Christianity in general, persecutions, which probably very quickly swaps over to the other way around of of Christianity doing the persecution. Not
0: super quickly, but yes. Oh. Oh. What happened? What if the they
1: is still referencing the Christians? Oh, good. What if I is the Christians and then the they is the Christians?
0: So I love that you took it all the way back to the Romans because I actually, I had started where you were in typical Moam fashion. Oh, okay. We had started in opposite yeah. places and were working our way to the middle. We got there. Yeah, like we were eating two ends of a strand of spaghetti in the moonlight. <laughs> th- eating each other's tails. That's it.
1: the The Moamoboros. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so yes, the Romans did need someone to hate. They needed someone to blame. Yeah. They needed an example. You know, we talked about Martin Luther King, how mm. society couldn't accept that there was someone saying, hey, maybe we should all be equal. And so there was a societal need to put all the hate onto one scapegoat. Mm-hmm. The Romans did the same thing. But then also, to your point, where you were going toward is, I think that this is a moment of, oh, Lord, protect me from your followers. Where now, and, and, sorry, to go into the that interstitial period, there were a couple hundred years where Christians were persecuted, you know, thrown to the lions. Right. But then Constantine, Emperor Constantine, had a conversion and said, you know what, we're going to make Christianity an officially tolerated religion here in the Roman Empire. But fast forward to today, and as you said, who's doing the persecutions? Who's trying to make whole sectors of society not allowed to live. You know, who's bashing the homosexuals and the trans and anybody that they want? Yeah. It's the Christians. To fit to their agenda, yeah. Oh, people, what have you done? Put him in your golden cage. <sighs> Locked him. Uh, Locked yeah, him. The to go back, go
1: back to the Romans really quickly, Jesus was also a fall guy for the Romans. You know, oh, the yeah. Christianity was starting to get that following, and you've got that head, you've got that figurehead of the whole organization, you kill him, hopefully he's the fall guy that makes everything else kind of fall
0: apart. Yeah. And interesting context with that, you know, at that point, it wasn't even Christianity. You couldn't even call it Christianity. Right, yeah. It was just this one really weird dude and the Jews rebelling, you know, fomenting discontent against the Romans. And a couple, like a hundred years or 50 years, like within memorable time after the time of Jesus, there was a rebellion, a Jewish rebellion against the Romans. And what ended up happening was that the Romans destroyed the very important Jewish temple, literally raised it to the ground. And and that was the moment that started the Jewish diaspora
1: Mm. throughout the Western world. They've never stopped moving since they're always persecuted no matter where they go.
0: And so to your point, the Romans really did need someone to blame this cultural movement on yeah. And almost kind of got it wrong because Jesus was not the one who was saying, yeah, rise up. <laughs> like,
1: right, yeah. But he was enough of a focus that he was dangerous. And I'm sure they probably didn't know one way or the other, like, how much influence and what kind of influence. I mean, it was all kind of starting to bubble up. Exactly. Like a sourdough
0: starter. It, exactly. like, But not for the <laughs> Jews because their bread the is Jews. unleavened during Passover. That's true. Only during Passover, right. We never know, even living in a historical moment, you never really have perspective on what that historical moment, of why that moment is historical. You might think you know, but then it takes 100 years to be like, oh yeah, that was actually the start of this thing. Yeah, sometimes well over 100 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love the line, cowardly persuasion behind the life mask.
2: Cowardly persuasion behind becomes-
0: Uh, A life mask is a mask that you make of someone's face while they're still alive as opposed to a death mask. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a massive critique as we are come to expect from Ian of the Christian organization present day Mm. to say, yes, you're hiding behind what you're saying is this living representation of Jesus, but actually you are cowards spewing hate, branding people with accusations, using this to frighten people into doing what you want them to do. And in the meantime, I'm nursing this sorrow for the loss of this beautiful individual.
1: Yeah, that were, were he around today, boy, it would be different. It would be very, very different.
0: And Ian says as much in the preface to the silent singing lyrics. This one has the most
1: direct, this isn't even allegorical, This has like a direct statement on present day. Those last two verses.
0: I agree, and you know, let's think about the time that Ian was recording this. Let's say maybe he had written it previously, but the Black Lives Matter movement was really happening at that time when Ian was probably writing. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of. Do you remember? I know you're not a big sports sports fan, but probably even you were aware of the situation with Mr. Kaepernick. Yes, I was. Yeah, the football player who. His outrageous offense to the world was kneeling during the pledge of allegiance, or the the singy bit, the national anthem, the national yeah. the national cranking, which completely related
1: spawned the really clever and amazing T-shirts and bumper stickers that say, "I kneel for the cross, I stand for the flag."
0: Right, <laughs> <It's> just so, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> but you know that was a moment of him using his visibility to kneel in solidarity, to kneel in protest of the systematic inequalities in America. And wow. It was a big moment. You know, literally, all he was saying was, hey, maybe we should treat people equally. Sound familiar? And look at how he was sacrificed and scapegoated by society. I mean, that's just one example. It happens over and over again. Yeah. Interesting. It's poignant
1: and it's appropriate and apt for many situations. I'm I'm sure through the eons it has been appropriate, but like it feels really, really, really key here in the struggles that we are, the social justice struggles that we're experiencing. Just, I mean, honestly, in the last like 10, 15 years, it feels like it's gotten really bad, but I wasn't totally aware of things prior to that. But awareness has really grown in that time that, People are humans. Everybody is a human.
0: And I do think that in a lot of ways, inequality is getting worse. You know, for some groups, it has always been bad. Mm-hmm. But I think that also, for a lot of groups, it is getting worse. You know, the rich are getting richer. Sure. And maybe we do need to be throwing the money changers out of the temple again. Because they keep sneaking back in there. And again, I think this album is so timely and and important. Genuinely. <laughs>
1: Omen, next week, our final track off of the second to final album. So far. So far, yeah. Uh, so what are we talking about next week?
0: Next week we are talking about the fisherman of Ephesus. na Ba-na-na-na-na. ba. Yeah. Be. <laughs> it's fun, it's great. Can't wait to talk about it. We'll also get to figure out where Ephesus is.
2: Mmm,
1: got a little blurb from Ian about playing in Ephesus in the booklet itself. Nice.
2: Exciting. Until
0: yeah. next week, I still need something outrageous to wear. And so I'm going to go check out our Tee Public page where I can find branded Talk Tall to Me merch. It's really, really great stuff.
1: I encourage you to make your dangerous affections not sublime, but loud and proud by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if available. Please.
0: If you need a steadying sail which never flutters or breaks the mast, I recommend subscribing to our Patreon at either the $5 amount or the $15 amount, which either way will give you access to our Discord, which is a steady wind of words from fellow Tall Skulls-like eCells. Until
1: next week, I am the engraving upon your heart nick mcgill i am someone to love omen thomas said we are not full of harsh accusations to scare the many and even the few we are the
0: feckless moms, and you are caught in the headlights of talk tall to me Talk, talk to me <laughs> as a proud member of the factless Mobs <laughs> Audio <laughs> Network.